the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. The kids on Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? <laughs> Halloween's a Freddy Krueger podcast. Was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. From the Consequence Podcast Network, the minds behind the Losers Club comes a new podcast in fantasy terror. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Halloween's a Freddy Krueger podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. There is a podcast that is a world unto itself. A podcast as boundless as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the place between light and shadow, science and, and superstition. It lies between the pit of humankind's fears and the summit of our knowledge. No, your ears don't deceive you. You're, You're not, not imagining, imagining things. This is that podcast. You've entered the, the fifth dimension. dimension. Greetings, travelers. I'm your host, Michael Rothman, Editor-in-Chief of Consequences Sound, and once again we're here with another misadventure in Jordan Peele's revival of The Twilight Zone for CBS All Access. Today we're talking about Six Degrees of Freedom, written by Heather Ann Campbell and Glenn Morgan of uh, A Traveler fame and uh, many other things. Many others. Yeah, and directed by Jacob Verbruggen. But before we lift off and avoid nuclear annihilation, let's introduce our round of co-hosts with me in the zone. Hey, everyone. This is Matt Mellis, the editorial director of Consequence of Sound. And I got a note asking where I'm from based on my accent. And that is a Western Pennsylvania accent you're hearing when you hear these melodious tones. So there's your FYI for the day. Uh, Specifically, uh, Butler, Pennsylvania, right? Butler, Pennsylvania, a little south of Erie, a little north of Pittsburgh. And not too far from the shooting locations of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. (laughs) About five miles away from the birth of the zombie, yes. That is so cool. It's very creepy, and we've been there. And uh, We've We've also been to the setting for Adventureland. That's true. Kennywood Park. I love Adventureland. Is that where they had that weird Garfield uh, yes. ride? <laughs> I made you go on the Garfield ride. We waited 45 minutes for this awful ride. It's basically just like neon it's, Garfield. It was like, the for years. It was the old mill where basically a tunnel of love 
And then they just made it a Garfield Aww, theme. So you guys went Mike, on the Garfield Tunnel Mike of love. and I and one of our other friends, Justin, we basically went through the Tunnel of Love together with cartoons and lasagna. Yeah. It was very strange, but uh, to my right... Is me, yes. Samantha Kuykendall, mm. social media specialist for Consequence Podcast Network. So mm-hmm. you can find me on Instagram and Twitter posting lots of stupid... Fun memes. Yeah. Fresh like, content. Yeah, we'll call it that. We'll call it fresh content. Yeah. Um, and you're also a contributing writer now. Yes. I just had my first article come out yesterday um, about Ted Bundy. So you can uh. find me on there. <laughs> Five extremely wicked facts on Ted Bundy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is fun. And they were extremely wicked. And I was uh, extremely spooked. A fitting so. beginning to your writing career. <laughs> yeah. Well, true <laughs> crime is kind of what I know best. So. Well, I hope you have a murderous career. Um, I hope so. Across Ooh. the airwaves, but still in the zone. Hey, this is Eleanor. I'm broadcasting from sunny Florida, where it is currently nighttime. I'm very jealous of it being sunny Florida because it's been moody Chicago. Very mm-hmm. rainy. and It was muggy today. Kind of miserable. That's kind of fitting. Well, this is a special episode because you've been waiting for a space episode. Oh, my so. God. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was really excited by this one. So before we go into the Bradbury heavy mission, let's hear our own pen synopsis from Matt Mellis. A space crew preparing for the first human flight to Mars is faced with a life-altering decision. Pause for effect. Continue reading dramatically. <laughs> and its consequences. Basically, things are going to get nuclear. Within seconds of takeoff, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We will talk about that in our next section. The stars as souls. You walk into this room at your own risk. Because it leads to the future. Not a future that will be, but one that might be. This is not a new world. It is simply an extension of what began in the old one. All right. Well, in this section, we like to talk about who's behind the camera and who's in front of the camera. As I mentioned before, this episode is written by Heather Ann Campbell, who has written uh, episodes for The Eric Andre Show, a lot of uh, comedic episodes, and also Glenn Morgan, who we know from The X-Files. From The X-Files. Yes. And we also know from A Traveler two episodes ago and didn't know too much about uh, Jacob Verbruggen, though, Uh, although I thought this episode's direction was really sharp. That was one of the many things I liked about this episode. He's had a couple credits. He did a Black Mirror episode. He did Men Against Fire. Uh, He's done a couple episodes of House of Cards. He worked on The Alienist. Which actually makes sense because Jefferson White is also from The Alienist as well. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So you got some uh, familial love there. And he threw in a rowing machine just like in House of Cards. Oh, yes, that is true. In terms of the behind the scenes stuff, I thought that the, the direction of this episode, those uh, snazzy as a style, I think that there's a uniformity to the style uh, of this series that we've been kind of seeing. I think there's kind of a, this like slick, I almost want to say it's like a mall sheen to it where you can have like reflective floors. Maybe it's just because the mall that I grew up in had mm. a lot of reflective floors, but there, there seems to be an aesthetic to the show that is that that's for the most part, uniform. I think there's a lot of like heavy emphasis on um, this sort of neon blues and colors that they, they have. Like you've this, this, there's some lights that are in this ship that I've the same colors that I saw in like 30,000 feet. Yeah, lots of room for light, the same type of lighting shadows, lots of, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. very chrome, you know, like, mm-hmm. like sheen, I guess. I think you use that word. Yeah. Definitely very sheen. Yeah. Clean. Um, futuristic, mm-hmm. if you will. But every episode has carried the same aesthetic, which I like because it makes it feel more like world building. Like yeah. they all take place within the same dimension, yeah. if you point. will. Yeah. 
They all have a lot of circles, like we're inside the eyeball. You know? Yeah. Like this episode had a lot of circles because of the spaceship. The last episode, it felt like you were inside an eye when you were in the operating room. And could I say Oval Office? Oh. That's a Oval circle office. in itself. <laughs> yeah. I, I also uh, I also thought that there was a lot of um, point of view shots in this one, too, that kind of maybe mm-hmm. could go with the, the eye a little bit. But I think that goes with the overall feeling of the episode because it's this kind of like we're pitted against each other. We're people in an enclosed area. It's very claustrophobic. So when you see POV shots, it makes you feel a little bit more like you're there and kind of suffering with them within this little uh, bubble that they've been in. Well, think about 30,000, you know, Nightmare 30,000 feet. Very similar. Um, We had the POV shots of the same guy, though, pretty much. Exactly. Um, It's obviously it's a way for us to see that. Everyone is handling this journey differently, right? And you get the you get right into their face and see those different emotions, those different moments they each have, and they each do definitely handle it differently. Well, and that's why I like episodes like this, or I mean, just content like this, where you have a grouping of people. They're all different. They all come from different phases of life. They all have different beliefs, mm-hmm. and they're kind of put together in this situation where they have to survive. Yeah. It's very like. Lord of the Flies or It's the real world in space. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they all, all of the actors played really well off of each other in this episode. Well, let's go through those actors real quick because we have a lot of souls in this episode. We have so many souls. That make up the Bradbury heavy mission. We have Flight Commander Alexa Brandt, who's Mm. played by DeWanda Wise, who was also in... She's got to have it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, the, the TV the series. Spike Lee, yeah, yeah. which she's brilliant in She that. was wonderful in this, mm-hmm. too. And her eyes are so beautiful. Like, uh, every time she was on screen, I was, like, just gazing at her eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, she's really, really good at shifting from... There's moments of humor here, too. And she's really, really good. You'll see, and she's got to have it. She can go from a real serious, you know, moment... Um, a real dramatic scene, right to something very comical. I mean, you see it right away in the cockpit how they're able to go between those things. So she's really good at that. Well, exactly. Like um, in that first scene alone, when they're <laughs> in there and she like plays the music, right, like yeah. I mean, she seemed like a fun commander. You know, someone that you would want to look up to it's, and yeah. make the time fun. Uh, seemed, like the seemed, fun uncle. Yeah, it seemed a little out of place, but I guess if you've ever been on a team, if you've ever been in a band or something, everyone has a ritual before they start. The, the ritual up. was that song. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, it was kind of cool to see that. Plus, they clearly had years of training together. You know, they knew each other's families and they knew what food they made. And, you know, they had a lot of history. They really were a family. I think yeah. four years, it says, of training. So. Mm-hmm. Next up, the pilot. Casey Donlin. That was Jonathan Whitesell. He's in Riverdale. Uh, he plays Kurtz. And then he was also in one of the new episodes of The X-Files. Oh, The Founder's Mutation. Yep. Was, I remember that episode, actually, because there's a weird uh, scene where you see like this kind of sponge-like uh, or this kind of weird sludgy fish that looks Ooh. like an old Jewish man. Um, and I am Jewish, so I can make that joke. Yes. But, He's uh, basically uh, like a poor man's Evan Peters to me. He kind of <laughs> looked like that to me a little bit. Yeah. Um, I hope his mother doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I tried to describe this guy. I was going to go with a little Crispin Gloverish. He did look a little, little like that, that yeah. too. He's fantastic in Riverdale playing a Heart of Darkness reference. I freaking love that show. I forgot you watched Riverdale too, Eleanor. Yeah, I have someone else that watches it with me. Well, we covered one episode of Riverdale for the Losers Club, and it was the Carrie episode, and I uh, wasn't a fan. Yeah, the musical ones aren't the best. It's all the little jokes, all the little references. They, they've done so many Twin Peaks references, the, the Shining references. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> the show knows what it is. And they also stars the late Luke Perry. 
Yes. I believe oh. uh, I think the last episode just ran with him. Oh yeah, the season finale. I think so. I haven't seen it yet. But Jonathan Whitesell is the actor who plays Casey, and he has a love relationship or kind of like a sexual relationship with Jessica Williams' character. And I loved the scene where um DeWanda Wise finds them, like having sex. I thought it was filmed really well, like that kind of fisheye lens. Yeah. And it was like super foggy and like you could see all the condensation around the window. Mm-hmm. But then they get told that they can't even have sex while they're up here because they could get pregnant. Yeah. And then Jessica Williams is playing flight engineer Ray Tanaka. Uh, and we'll talk about their love relationship in just a little bit, uh, as mentioned. But um, and I, I really like Jessica Williams and I've really been excited ever since she was announced for this, uh, this series, I was wondering who she was going to be playing, um, in what episode. And I'm pretty happy and stoked that she got one of the more ambitious episodes that we've seen for the series so far. And I thought that she had a really pivotal role here because, um, she kind of has to be, uh, the cynic in a way. She right? creates the tension early on. There's a lot of things creating tension that we'll talk about, but, um, you have this family unit, this, these people that have to be really tightly knit bond to, you know, bound to, uh, make this work and she's sort of the one that's uh estranged a little bit at the beginning she is dissenting but i think it's it's less cynicism and more sentimentality she's the one who wants to be back home yeah and we're gonna see how that's a problem she's the one who (laughs) who wears it on her sleeve anyway for sure yeah we also have flight surgeon Catherine langford She's a Lucinda Dryzek. Yeah, she. I looked at her IMDb page, and she's just been kind of like a, a TV actress, just in kind of small parts. Nothing that I had seen. So this this was my first time seeing her in anything. I actually really liked her character in this because she's kind of the mediator. Yeah. I feel like between everyone, especially. Obviously, we'll get into it later when things start to sh- to hit the fan. <laughs> yeah, uh, she has to keep everyone calm. And I think she did a really good job of that. And I, I hope to see her in more stuff. But again, I just I hadn't really seen anything on her um, resume. Which makes sense that she has to kind of keep everyone in uh, tanning because she's the uh, the flight surgeon. So she's got to make sure that she's checking everyone's vitals and all. So last but not least is mission specialist Jerry Pearson, who you had mentioned before, played by Jefferson White. And I thought he was fucking so good in this. Yeah, uh, and he has a very pivotal role in this episode because mm-hmm. he pretty much plays the realist. In a, in, a, in a way? I don't even know if you can call it a realist. I mean, he's definitely the one that suspects that they're in a simulation, you know, mm-hmm. um, or that something isn't quite right, you know? Like, um, we see it just kind of slowly throughout the episode with him, like, writing in his notebook, and it's very frantic. Mm-hmm. You can't really make it out or anything like that. I mean, they all have baggage on this journey that's going to tug them in different directions, Jerry has something though that's just going to make the whole situation erupt. Yeah, you know, and that's that's what I think is interesting. Again, it's a suspicion, as you said, uh, Sammy, that uh, this isn't what it appears to be. You know, which is a common theme, obviously, and uh, the Twilight Zone. And one of the really cool things about his performance—I mean, you could say this about a lot of things, like oh, you know, it had a you know there was a twist or there was something in it. You know, go back and watch it again, right? Uh, but I really do think if you watch his performance again, you appreciate it so much better at all the things that went into it right from the get-go to really build to that situation. So I enjoyed watching this not just once but multiple times just for his performance and everything he put into it. Well, let's lay out what happens for the most part. We don't have to go step-by-step step like we've done in the past couple episodes, but to basically lay out the land, they're about to take off on this mission. And <laughs> right as they're about to take off and prepare to go for this journey towards Mars, we find out that five long-range missiles 
are coming from the North Korea Peninsula and that Los Angeles and Seattle have already been hit. They basically have like a one minute window to leave before pretty much nuclear annihilation for themselves. Well, and then they have to make the decision of going through with their mission um, because they only have enough food and supplies to get for them and to get there and back. Mm-hmm. So they have to make the choice of like, do we go through with this? There's nowhere else to go back to. Mm-hmm. So it's like this decision to leave and go through with their mission, but they're not doing it for anything anymore. They're doing it so that they can survive. They're not doing it to colonize Mars so that other people on Earth can come and like their families are going to be there. Like there's nothing to go back to. So there's really no point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's this kind of like existential crisis and almost like how far you can go for the, the you know, the will to live. It, it, it makes me think of like all the times I watched the zombie apocalypse movies and wonder like, <laughs> what if I was just in space? I could kind of live peacefully or something and just but watch this from above. that would almost be worse in space because there's this scene where they're celebrating Alexa Brandt's birthday mm-hmm. um, and they all start singing uh, California Dreamin'. And they have the realization, or at least Lucinda Dryzek's character has the realization sort of like, I'm never going to hear music again. I'm never going to hear this song again. And I think that's where she kind of breaks down and starts crying is it's like, imagine never being able to feel the wind on your face or hear the sound of the ocean or play your favorite song. It'd be devastating, at least on earth. If something were to happen um, where you were still there, you could still find like cassettes or DVDs or mm-hmm. CDs and find something that would work with it. But like you're in space, you're there's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. What you have in your ship is what you have. I think it's a very different episode because what we've seen so far, most of these situations have been fairly contained. And this is just, you know, this is blown up to the point of we're talking a little rocket man has a bomb headed right towards them already. And then they find out in a few minutes um, later on after they've taken off that rockets have been shot back and forth all across the globe. So I mean, we're dealing with, you know, nuclear holocausts. We're dealing with, obviously, initially this idea of let's go find another planet, you know, that we can eventually escape to because we made this one unlivable. Um, so there's a lot of huge stuff happening in the first couple of minutes. It, uh, it doesn't give you any time to, you know, you're holding your breath from the get-go. And I think it's a really interesting line that comes out very quickly after they have decided to launch. The Wanda Weiss's, or I should call it what, um, Commander Alexa Brandt, um, she says, you know, usually, and we've all experienced this, right? We watch a blast off. We know a mission's going on, and we're worried about what happens to them, right? Think about Apollo 13 or whatever. What if they don't get back? And here, all of a sudden, they're the ones going on this extremely dangerous mission, and they're worried about the people that are supposed to be home back safe on Earth. Yeah. You know, so that's uh, just a, a, a weird, you know, flip of sort of circumstances, I thought. Well, it becomes an existential crisis in the sense that you have five people that are self-contained to one place, and they all have to ask the question of, like, how long do you want to keep going with this? You know, where do you want to keep going this? Mm-hmm. Who are we anymore? Like, you know, th- there's a lot of weird existential questions that have been that are kind of um, going to a boiling point uh, in this episode. And you just almost kind of see this, like, ticking clock of just how far you're going to strip your humanity as the days clock down. Because as we're seeing, sure. this whole episode is structured based on how many days they have left to, until they get to Mars. Yep. And we see in the very beginning, they're all singing and happy to, you know, as they're singing uh, the Tim Armstrong, the Interrupter song, Family. Everyone's all, you know, happy-go-lucky. It's the irony of them singing this song about family. They are their own sort of space family at this point. And, you know, this is just the classic 
space story where we're just yeah. seeing people trapped in this claustrophobic room and they're going to start murdering each other left and right. I, mean, I think you know. that's a good point. It's that story where um, what choice do you make when you don't really have choices, right? Yeah. Do you want to complete this mission, even though there's no one to send back the information to? Is it about choosing how you die? Is it choosing how you live the rest of your time? They talk about, do we want to go on the suicide mission? They talk about, do we want to just drift around until we run out of fuel and food? Um, what do you do when there's really no good decision? And they, But they have to do something or sit there and basically be nuked. And we find out that everyone has their own respective sort of quandaries that they're, that they're, they're going through. Um, I think Alexa is is mostly kind of dealing with like the, the the loss of relationship for her so she's leaving her relationship behind we get the sense that she's almost jealous because casey and ray are having a relationship there so she's, mm. th- th- there's already that sort of tension so it's, it's almost like this spider web of issues that have that that is you know that's coming to fruition here because one person's affecting another and it's almost like this ricochet effect that's mm. going on as the, the episode and they're, they're dealing with similar things too i mean Ray's sort of, you know, looking back and thinking about who they're leaving behind. And she's kind of wearing it on her sleeve at the beginning as this dissenting voice. But we also have Alexa, who feels very much the same way. You know, she's sneaking and trying to call home, too. Mm -hmm. But she can't, as the commander, be that person who's focused on what's behind them. They have no control over. She's got to keep them kind of moving ahead. So you have people dealing with a lot of the same issues of uh, family and people they care about. We have what we have um, Langford. You know, she's someone who gave up her family. Yeah. Could you imagine telling your spouse, you're not going to see me. I'm going to be off training. Then I'm going to go away in space for like four years. And I mean, you could, you could understand. I mean, everyone here has sacrificed so much to get to this point. Jerry talks about all he went through to, uh, to beat out all these other applicants, yeah. like 15,000 applicants. Casey talks about how, damn it, I'm not going to get nuked here on a, a launch pad. I, you know, trained for four years to do this. So everyone's made a ton of sacrifices. And now it's kind of figure out, like, what can I make out of that situation? So they're all dealing with a lot of stuff. Well, and it has to come to a head at some point. You know, we, mm-hmm. we get through that. And then when the plot starts to derail a little bit in the middle... Uh, at the birthday party, that's when Jerry's character is like, I, don't cry, don't cry. Like, I have a surprise for you guys. Like, and you can mm-hmm. see this kind of mania set in of like, something's not right. Because we've been watching him kind of be weird, you know, throughout their time on the ship. Like, when we were watching, when Mike and I were watching and he was um, touching the toilet bowl, uh, I, I didn't even know what he was doing. I'm like, what is this guy doing? You know, I had no idea kind of where we were going. Um, so that moment when he's like, no, wait, I have a surprise for you guys. I was like still on the edge of my seat of like, what is the surprise? What is he going to tell you guys? Yeah. For a second, I actually thought that because they made the band, I mean, there's two things that really happen. That's big. One, no transmissions back to earth, which is already starts kind of like a line of tension. And that comes, you know, from Alexa Brandt. She says, no more lines, but you need to look forward and not look back which is kind of like their first sort of sign that they're losing their sense of humanity. Then you have the second thing where she says when she catches Ray and Casey having sex, no sex. So <laughs> you have no connection to your past and now you can have no intimacy to kind of create this sort of sense of future forward. So when I saw Jerry like poking through the bathroom, I almost was wondering, like a part of me was wondering if he was ch- testing for samples based on like, semen or if people were having their periods or it was just something there's something like that was coming through my head i wasn't even thinking 
about this sort of red pill, blue pill uh, thing. But but what does what does Jerry find out? Well, he is a very analytical character, and I think that when he finally makes his big reveal, he's responding to the emotion that he sees in Langford, where he's he's like, oh, I I know I'm supposed to be doing something to make this better. How can I make this better? And then he thinks he's going to make it better by revealing what he's discovered, which is that it's all a simulation. And there's also that scene you see right before that, too, where um, Langford's talking to Commander Alexa because she's saying, you know, I had this dream and she's dreamed about being at home. And then I, that was all just a dream. And I woke up and this is the nightmare. So he sees a chance to stop, you know, two people from hurting the way they are. One person who breaks down during that singing scene, uh, which was Langford. And then, you know, his captain who says, I'm in this, you know, emotional nightmare here. Um, so he thinks, of course, you know, he's giving them the greatest gift of all. None of this is happening. Well, and of course, in this moment where he's trying to like break this good news or or what he thinks is good news, a solar flare pops up and is like aiming towards them. So, of course, it's like the worst moment for him to kind of have this manic This is where outburst. all hands must be exactly. on deck if they're going to survive. And that's such a big thing about this whole like that's that's what's going on here. You need all these people to possibly you know, make the best go of it possible to survive. If well, if any one of them, you know, you lose or like breaks down, it's not going to work. And that's well, what the now, And now to you have together. someone that doesn't believe that they're actually in any danger. So you have this kind of wild card character going forward and be like, we're fine. I don't need to go buckle my seatbelt in. I don't need to go help you guys because this doesn't exist. None of us are really here and we're safe. And Obviously, that leads him to try to prove to them that um, they're not really in space. All right. Now, here's a question. At this point, we'll do a round uh, of answers here. Are you team Jerry or are you, uh, you know, team everyone else? Well, I mean, the first time you watch it again, I just think Jerry's lost it. Oh, OK. You know, clearly when you go back, you do know how it ends, but you also see all that gets it gets built into it. I think one of the things they do that's really cool with Jerry's character is remember when Jerry comes in and he's like um, Jerry's overanalyzing like the food they're eating. You yeah. Know, and why some people would think it would be good. And he's extremely analytical. Well, what else was he talking about? He's extremely. Yeah, there's another great example of him. Just he's going to break down every little thing. And they're the, like, oh, you know, you're going to do this to the whole time. Components <laughs> driving everyone nuts. <laughs> I mean, remember, they got like 200 or 300 days in space together before they get to Mars. And it was, you know, that Jerry's the type of person, just like we saw um, Adam Scott's character. In the yeah. 30, this is the guy who can keep unraveling and yep. unraveling that sweater, you know, that someone keeps knitting and knitting yeah. and knitting and knitting and he can keep unraveling it till he goes crazy. So I love how they set up with a couple of scenes, that character to be the one who just overthinks everything and goes. So I, I, I thought Jerry was nuts at that point. What about you, Sam? I mean, I think for me, it's like I'm a believer, so I probably would have been more like, hey, I believe you, but just in case you're wrong, do you think you could come over here and help us out? You know, I think I would. Which is kind of what Langford's trying to do. Totally. And and that's why I liked her character so much is because it's like, that's exactly what I think I would do in the situation. I I believe you, but help steer the damn ship. Exactly. Please help us. Cookies and milk. (laughs) Just in case that for whatever reason you're wrong and we are in here and we are in fucking danger. Could you like, you know, join the team really quick and not be a fucking nutso for a second. But I like, I would believe him, I think, just because I'm so inclined. I always believe the unbelievable. I'm the most like 
I guess for lack of a better word, gullible person, it's pretty easy to convince me of something. So I think at the very least I would, you know, hypothesize with him and try to get an answer, but I would definitely want him to just at least calm down first yeah. and let's get through this solar flare before we do that. <laughs> Eleanor, team Jerry or team everyone else? I'm definitely with Jerry and there has to be some kind of sedative that you can hit him with, you know, to, to get him to calm down in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> because I think he was absolutely right. I mean, he was absolutely right. But sure. if he gets out of the mania, if you can talk to him about, okay, so what is the meaning behind this simulation? Why is it happening? And, and what's the goal? And how do we win? Then I think that that could yield more productive results and challenge the analytical part of his mind that he's clearly in deep on. And I, I definitely think he's somewhere on the autism spectrum, which is why he's the one having all these amazing ideas that nobody else is thinking of. Yeah. And also why he's struggling to pick up on the social cues. That was my thing is that I'm, I'm team Jerry also, even at this point, because I think it's a little too perfunctory that the solar flare comes right after he makes that revelation. And I think his point, his argument about like, what are the odds that this missile would be, you know, these missiles would be hitting the same time that we are launching from Earth and he goes the whole, does the whole statistics on that. So it, it, for that, that sort of like convenience or these serendipitous moments just seemed, that would convince me. But yeah, I, I was thinking like somebody just say to, sedate him. Like nobody has any control or automation over him. Like it would have been so easy to just kind of stick him with the needle or whatever. I get that he's their least favorite, but they should, yeah. they should still try to keep him on the crew because he might be the but, most useful. Yeah. But still, you got to believe for the purpose of the episode, they want you to not believe Jerry. Mm-hmm. Well, and they right? do that immediately after because she goes to check the toilet bowl and there's crystals on her fingers. So... Obviously, the other force or what the aliens. Um, exactly. If Jerry's right and we believe him, we're done halfway through the episode. Exactly. And I, but I don't think we feel that way. That's why I'm surprised it's it's three to one against me if we all keep watching. And I guess so you guys kept watching to see how Jerry was correct. Yeah. Was all, okay. Oh, I did. I, I again, I didn't see that twist um, coming. I thought he was off the rails, really. Okay, um, well. And that they got to Mars, you know, obviously in the end, I I wasn't seeing that they were in a simulation. Well, then you're team me. You're not team Jerry. (laughs) Exactly. So we got two and two. I think we're two and two, actually. We are two and two. Okay, fair enough. And simulations need to have a way to correct themselves in order to maintain the unified belief in the simulation being reality. Mm -hmm. So that perfectly fits. Of course, the crystals would show up. I I also thought that it was, I was still convinced that Jerry was right because I'm a huge, 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 huge um, critic, or uh, I get very suspicious when you don't actually see the death happen on screen. And when the solar flare does happen and he does go and open it up and, or Jerry actually opens up the exit to go out of the, um, (laughs) the, uh, the spaceship, like he's in event horizon and it's the mama bear scene. I, (laughs) I definitely, the fact that we don't see him and you just see the (laughs) blinding white light. I was like, Oh, he's, this is, he's absolutely right. He's a hundred percent. I was thinking Randy Quaid in, um, Oh, in independence day, independence day. I'm I'm back. back. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I was so, I was just, just waiting for them to have some sort of revelation. But yeah. instead we get like, what, like 20 minutes after that? 15 yeah, minutes? Yeah, of them like in the bedroom, kind of joking, kind of like knocking on the walls. To yeah. Be like, yeah. Jerry, 
are you there? You know, almost like taunting him. Yeah. Um, like they hadn't just lost a friend, you know, because if they didn't believe him, they thought he was actually dead and killed himself. Like they didn't really mourn it the way I I think I would have. But I guess you if in that a was, situation I mean, like that. I agree. That was a little strange. You have to remember these people have been up in space for a couple hundred days at yeah. that point. And at that point, if Jerry really has lost it, they're all going to die up there with him because of him. You know, I, I don't know if it was a relief that um, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't do any more damage to them. One of the great things about this episode, though, is, again, like you said, whether you believed them at that point or not, whether you were Team Cherry or not, as you find out what's going on, you can go back, you can piece it all together. You go right back to that. You actually go back right to the original opening screen and you say, oh, now I understand who this briefing is actually from. Yeah. And it's not humans. You see what Jerry does, that little glitch Jerry does in the, if you want to call it the cockpit. Um, you see, and Jerry sets out the philosophy that basically is the idea behind this whole episode right from the get go. So I did like that. Um, I appreciate, I guess, the the structure was built a lot sturdier than I thought it was. Yeah. You know, as you look back and you realize, oh, okay, I understand why all these other things happen and how they fed into this moment. And in turn, him being so analytical and being the crazy one saves the human race, deems us worthy of being saved. So it's just kind of funny how the crazy person or the one like the outcast of the group ends up mm-hmm. saving us as a whole. Saves Tina. Tina family Who's our last character that we didn't really talk about Which was Tina the computer But I think Tina the computer Is someone I want to talk about in our next section Light and shadow We know that a dream can be real But whoever thought that reality could be a dream Think about it And then ask yourself Do you live here in this country In this world Or do you live instead In the twilight zone now, in Light and Shadow, we'd like to talk about uh, what are the illusions? Uh, what are the parallels between this and older episodes of The Twilight Zone and uh, outside of The Twilight Zone and other you know, forms of pop culture? I saw a lot in this episode. Eleanor, you're usually the scholar in this section, so why don't you go first? Well, I'm flattered. There were tons, and there are tons that I'm probably not going to get just in this next few minutes. But I did like, I, I loved, in fact, the way it was written so that you had all these self-referential references. <laughs> Within the first few minutes, because I felt like that set you up in this comfort zone before launch that everybody else is feeling and, and you're feeling it too when you you see Whipple. And even when you hear Wasan missiles, they use 1015 for the millionth time. You just see all these, and Tina, <laughs> um, you see all these references and you're like, okay, I get it. Yeah, I'm with you. And then it derails you so quickly when they go into this, oh, there's a new problem and, and there's nuclear war about to happen any second. It did a good job of creating that sense of familiarity in order to disrupt it. I agree. So Whipple, what I what I see kind of drew to the conclusion of was basically like NASA because it was all over their suits. It was their pens. So I assumed it was kind of like the space program in the in the fifth dimension. Mm. But it's also the camera in replay is a Whipple uh, oh. brand. And there's actually an episode of The Twilight Zone called The Brain Center at Whipple's, which is about a man wants to make his power plant the most automated manufacturing establishment in the world, which I guess in the fifth dimension ends up working out since he creates all of these um, electronics and stuff like that. So I thought that was a cool little light and shadow. Do you Um, remember the old Charmin commercials, like the classic ones that would have run during the old Twilight Zone? I don't. Mr. No. Whipple, stop stop pinching the Charmin. 
The shard of toilet paper is so soft. He would catch people Maybe in the store. Maybe it's an allusion to that, too. I don't know. I'm curious. And then kind of a smaller one, but I, I it stood out to me. There's a scene where Lucinda Dryzek's character is playing with a little toy airplane, and it says Northern Gold Star Airlines on the side, which is also the airline in Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. And then also in the original Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, it's called Gold Star Airlines. You can see it on the tarmac at the end of the episode. So I'm assuming that after that episode of the first one, maybe they rebranded to Gold Star uh, or Northern Gold Star Airlines so that they wouldn't be associated with that. (laughs) And now it's like this is the new airline that they use in the series. So I thought that was a cool little illusion. The episode itself kind of reminded me of Where Is Everybody? The first episode, because obviously that character ends up being in a simulation at the end um, after he's been going through a town trying to find any living. The first episode. Exactly. And it's. It's one of my favorite episodes, too. Um, So, like, the whole episode after we find out that they're in a simulation and it's the alien race trying to see if we're worthy or not of being saved. Which that part reminded me of Monsters that Do at Maple Street again. Mm. Yeah, I, I saw that too. I definitely yeah. saw. And then I also, um, there, one of my favorite episodes is Third from the Sun where the whole episode you think that they're on Earth trying to get to Mars. But by the end of the episode when they steal a spaceship and are heading towards the planet, you see that they're actually heading towards Earth. So they've been on like another planet the entire time so it's kind of like that end scene when um all of them make it to mars and it pans out i was almost like waiting for like a mount rushmore or something to allude to the fact that it was still earth or they maybe hadn't really left earth and they were leaving another planet because like i said i didn't really see where we were going with the twist the entire episode um, so I was like looking for like, especially when it panned out, I'm like, okay, what are you, what are you trying to show us here? And obviously ended up being nothing, but I kind of thought maybe that's where they were going with it. And obviously the matrix, I saw some heavy, <laughs> yeah. heavy, the matrix. I think that whole vibes. final scene is literally just ripped right out of the matrix. Even when he pulls them out, you know, yeah. it's just like the goo and everything, all yes. the wiring totally reminded me mm-hmm. of good old Neo. Yeah. I was, I was hoping that we'd see uh, our good friend, Larry Fishburne. <laughs> and he'd, he'd pull him out and say, uh, you know, join us. Cowboy Curtis himself. Cowboy yeah. Curtis himself. And, mm-hmm. and also in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. There we go. Yeah. yeah oh, in The Matrix, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, <laughs> that. Well, yeah. So what, 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 what illusions did you see, Matt? It was very much like the real world in space, you know, <laughs> in space to me in a lot of ways, you know, how these different people are going to. So you're saying this uh, is t- parallel ties to MTV's The Real World? Well, yeah, that's, that's yeah. the basic idea. I like I mean, that. I like it's that. Not, I'm not saying it's comedic. It's more serious than that in a lot of ways. But, I mean, that's basically the idea, all these different types of people trying to, you know, somehow um, stay sane during this incredibly difficult just experience. You could Again, Eleanor always says it, I think, every week. What's great about The Twilight Zone is... It makes you think. And the situations these people are going through, both personally, when you think the big catastrophic things, I mean, they're just so vast. I mean, we can almost not think at this level. You know, the only way to think bigger is like, why are we here? How did the universe start? God and that sort of thing. But to get to the bigger idea is what I thought of was, uh, has anyone ever seen Dark City? Where yes. they find out, you know, their whole city mm-hmm. is basically an experiment. Absolutely. They're, in a, they're in a maze, right? They're guinea pigs. I thought about that. Then I also thought about just movies where you're going through a journey or something and you don't quite understand what's being done to you or how you're being watched or manipulated. I even thought like the original Willy Wonka. I mm-hmm. thought V for Vendetta. 
a lot of things like that. Yeah. The one scene where she's in the cell. Yeah. You know, so different stuff like that. The Truman Show. Yeah. The, oh, the Truman Show is a great <laughs> example. It makes you have to decide what's real and what's not. Exactly. Right. And and one of those that's that really hits home here is uh, Duncan Jones' Moon. Without spoiling too much about that movie, there's a lot of the same discussions that are being had. And uh, that's our Sam Rockwell. It's probably, I would argue, Duncan Jones' best movie. Um, I, I think that there's, and that's David Bowie's son, actually. Uh, but he, the, that whole film is very similar to this episode. Um, so much so that I, I have to wonder if they got I- ideas from this. But I was also trying to think of like some X-Files episodes with this because, I'm sure you know, we'd mentioned ICE previously for a traveler just based on the the location and the idea that it's this um you know remote location in icy wilderness um that and an is alien life form an alien life form and <laughs> also whatnot. glenn morgan but i think this one is very similar to that too because there's such a sense of mistrust that's been going on and a lot of the paranoia that seeps into the different astronauts here because they all start causing sort of rifts against themselves like i mean a lot of it's just based on protocol but i think a lot of it you could have, you know, like, for example, like Alexa Branch could have easily not had the ban on sex or, you know, could have let the transmissions keep going. But there seems to be some sort of disassociation going on that affects all parties. And I felt a lot of that was was very ice. And I could see how Glenn Morgan might have leaned on um, maybe that X-Files episode a little bit. But just know. like ice kind of leans on the thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but also, I mean, one of the biggest ones, I think, and it's I think any space movie is always going to go back to this are two films that just pretty much created the DNA for space movies is one, obviously, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Stanley Kubrick. The whole Tina computer is just lifted straight from Hal um, with the obvious talking Tina reference. And, and even just the way that the the solar flare and the, when he opens it up, that's exactly kind of what Dave has to do to get back into the, 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 the spaceship. So there's almost like kind of an inversion there. But I also thought that, you know, in the next film is, you know, Ridley Scott's Alien, where you have the way that you set up characters, especially a group of characters, uh, because remember, 2001 is only two characters that are on there and, you know, in there. It's Frank Poole and Dave Bowman. Um, And with Alien, you have a whole group Mm -hmm. that are up in space. And I think that's kind of what you get here. And that really set the template for the thing, as we just mentioned with Ice, Mm -hmm. and also set the template for a lot of sci-fi films to come later in the the 90s, for sure. Like even Sunshine. I love Sunshine, especially the scene where you can see the solar flare and Mm -hmm. his eye. Yeah, That reminded me of Sunshine a lot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I love how you guys see other space movies in this one, make those connections. And I like how I take a totally different type of movie or story and see it acting out here in space. I think that's one of the things that makes um, the Twilight Zone so interesting. I mean, it draws from people who are fans of of sci-fi, but it draws from all other, just like the most basic types of stories and things that have entertained us forever. I have a couple other references that I think are really important to mention in this episode. Probe 7 Over and Out is an episode of The Twilight Zone where um, we see a maroon spaceman who learns that the planet he left behind destroyed itself in nuclear war and he has to figure out how to go on. So people should check that episode out. And going back to Whipple, I think the lesson in the original Whipple episode is really relevant to the lesson in this one, that humanity is really special. So people should check that one out, too. But I think it's also important that we mention that it's the Bradbury Heavy Mission. Yeah, Ray oh, Bradbury. Good point. Yeah, so there, there are a couple of references here. Obviously, I think it's definitely a reference to Ray Bradbury, who wrote The Martian Chronicles, mm-hmm. which talked about humans leaving Earth to go to Mars. And there's a lot of nuclear destruction of war 
worlds in those stories. But there's another Bradbury, and that is Robert Bradbury, who came up with the concept of the Matryoshka brain concept, which is used in several sci-fi fiction works to power universe simulations and manipulation. Ah. I have one more. I have one more that is when they're talking about TV shows. Casey says he likes a show called Wild Cards or The Wild Cards, which is a reference to space above and beyond, which is a Morgan and Wong show that existed between X-Files and Millennium. It was the, the show was called Space Above and Beyond. But the team of space marines is called the Wild Cards. So, oh, did you guys get what show they actually caught the rerun of floating out in space? Oh no, what was that? The Monsters. It was, I was trying to figure out the voice, and it dawned on me it's Grandpa Monsters. Oh, I believe so. Yeah, interesting. I would have been I would have been a little disappointed because I'm more of an Adams Family fan. You so. did have to decide between the two. They they'd be played back to back in the day. I believe. I know they yeah, were like so. it was kind of like the volcano Dante's Peak thing. Or you, you could tell a lot about a person by which they preferred. <laughs> yeah. You know? What did you prefer, Dante's Peak or, uh, or Volcano? I preferred the monsters. <laughs> <laughs> the both of them. Nice, nice. Well, I wanted to draw one more thing, is that uh, this is actually submitted to us. So Ooh. this is a transmission we're getting into, the fifth dimension, uh, from one of our listeners, Jordan Fleming, had actually pointed out the Whipple thing uh, last week and was mentioned that Whipple goes all the way back to Nightmare at 30,000 feet because it's the name of the iPod. That Adam oh, Scott so they've holding. been doing this mm-hmm. since the mm-hmm. get-go. Yeah. Jordan, and this was Jordan. Jordan. Yeah, Jordan Fleming. Jordan Fleming or... Um, Ian Fleming's... Uh, <laughs> I was going to say perhaps Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. Oh! Could it be? <laughs> Maybe they're related. It's like, guys, pick up on it. Either way, we're happy We're happy you contacted us. And it only took me Jordan. six episodes to uh, realize the Whipple thing. Well, what's, what's really interesting <laughs> is Jordan also mentions that um, in the last episode, there's a mirror next to Raph where the bottles are. And on the mirror, it says Dr. Bernardi's beauty brand... And you can't see what the last word is, but the the Dr. Bernardi is the doctor from Eye of the Beholder. Oh, I know, because I just bought that action figure on Saturday. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, So Uh, they really, they really spared no illusion or a reference here. No. They really do. They went all in. And I hope we get to talk about the original episodes one day, because I love mirrors. He brings up mirrors. You could talk about, we could do a whole episode on mirrors. Well, Jordan can guess. I got to be honest with you, I get a little nervous with mirrors. You might say I'm superstitious. Obscure metaphysical explanation to cover a phenomenon. Reasons dredged out of the shadows to explain away that which cannot be explained. Call it parallel planes or just insanity. Whatever it is, you'll find it in the Twilight Zone. All right, in science and superstition, we're going to be talking about the fundamentals and the mechanics of this zone, uh, whether or not this is science fiction or fantasy, and what made us sweat uh, let's start with, uh, well, we know the fundamentals and mechanics. This is, um, space. Oh, wait a second. It's not space. This is, uh, uh, a simulation as we did already mentioned. So do we think that this simulation, like what, what, what do we, th- what do we think of the mechanics of the simulation? Because there's a lot of interesting things here. Where are these bodies? First off, was he abducted previously? All of them are there. He's just the only one to have woken up and realized that they were in a simulation. But does this mean that, like, everyone in the world is is part of this, like, weird simulation somehow, like, and he managed to get out? Like, I mean, there's always been this great debate that, like, True. we'll never know if we are in some sort of matrix in real life at this point because we just we just don't know until we will know. Are we supposed to assume that, like, every one of the characters that we saw 
are part of this sort of alien simulation? Like, were they abducted by the aliens and then put in here? Like, I mean, what, what, what do we think happened behind the scenes here? Well, I mean, that's what I mentioned Dark City earlier. That was the idea of people living in a city and having no idea, except for a couple of them. And that's kind of what the movie's about, finding out that we're actually in this big simulation, right? This was an interesting episode. I mean, I think it's debatable, too. Um, whenever they start talking about, at the end, this it will come to this theme or this concept, I think, of the Great Filter. When they start talking about that, the aliens at the end said, you know, they, they did that. The, and the Great Filter is the idea that um, it's very difficult for one life form to ever travel to another civilization without destroying themselves you know, in the meantime, on mm-hmm. the journey, right? Which we almost see happen here. Um, so whenever the aliens are saying, oh my God, they actually made it to our civilization. They actually made it to where they were going. They say, but it took the near destruction of their planet. Now, again, does that mean that their planet actually got destroyed and that's what made them finally go, you know, find other life forms? Or does it mean we simulated that and that's what it took? So again, you're back to that square one debating whether that really took place or not, I think, right? Yeah. So I thought that might have been the answer, but it really isn't because... Again, did we put the idea that their civilization is being destroyed? That's what made them finally take off? Or did uh, it actually take that happening for them to enter into our simulation or whatever? Exactly. Like, is Earth still standing? Were they yeah. taken from Earth to see if Earth was worth saving? Yeah. And that's, using that, them as that's my question. Some sort of zoo or something. Are these just, basically? like, some five random pilots that, like, that got, are that got taken at separate occasions and that they've wired them in there. Or is it all really going on, but they're just sort of watching us? I don't know. Well, that's what I mean. I'm, I'm, t- I'm, I'm looking at this from a wide scope. Yeah. Like I'm saying it might this, not be as much of a simulation. All this might actually be happening. Yes. And they're just watching us because they have that technology and that ability to. Yeah. Like this I is the heaven know, or hell Michael. type thing. Like did this, did he tie and actually get taken out? And you see that this is the simulation. I, I just want to know how far the simulation goes. I really don't think we know. I think there are a lot of points at which the narrative can divert. So I don't think we know. I think the two writers might have had different points at which it's a simulation or not. Personally, I don't think Earth is still standing, but I think that they're going to give humans a chance anyway. <laughs> But I think that's what's so fun about this episode is that we are left with these questions. It's kind of the first episode that I feel stuck with me in that way, that I was left to think about it and stew on it of like, how'd they get there? You know, what's the fate of everyone else? Um, So I kind of appreciate the open endedness of it. Um, And I think it works narratively, especially for sci-fi and space travel. Sometimes you just, Mm -hmm. you don't know. Um, But I, I liked that about this episode that we kind of got to walk away with it and we all get to have different opinions. It wasn't like spoon-fed to us, you know? We're having to talk about species and universes and planets and all those huge things here for the first time instead of sort of just being in one person's head, um, instead of just talking about something that's very topical that happens to certain people in our country, things like that. I mean, we are really dealing with huge issues here. And it's the stuff that made people want to go to space to begin with. It's mm-hmm. that wonder. It's that just the sense of the numinous and why are we here and all those things, you know? I did really like that this was one of the episodes where the characters start questioning what's going on, which is something you see in the old episodes, like five characters in search of an exit Mm -hmm. or a stopover in a small town where people start thinking, are we dead? Yeah. (laughs) Or is someone controlling us? I like that they start questioning because you're doing that every time you turn on a Twilight Zone episode. (laughs) You're going to sit there going, okay, what is it? I'm going to figure it out before they tell me. 
And it's not necessarily the point. The point could just be provoking interesting questions. Well, I think so. And I mean, it's it's really cool, right? Again, that question, is Jerry right or are the others right? But at the end of the day, it's 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 not the most interesting question, really. Like you said, it's just thinking of these really crazy concepts, like Michael was saying, how far does the simulation go? Uh, where are we? Are we uh, you know, did they actually, is Earth actually rubble right now? Um, these are just huge questions that are fun to put out there. And uh, they're just, they're, they're mind-blowing questions too. Well, in that, in that respect, it, it, you know, not to go double back a little bit too much in the light and shadow, but this does remind me of uh, the episode Five Characters in Search of an Exit, which is kind of funny that there are five characters that are actually in, uh, this spaceship. Uh, and that one is from season three, episode 14. Rod Sterling actually wrote that one. And, uh, you know, there's, we see that there's like a clown, a hobo, a ballet dancer, a bagpiper, an army major, and they're all kind of in this room. Uh, and this is actually became a template for a lot of, uh, forthcoming sci-fi, uh, movies, especially something like cube, but they all don't know why they're there. Obviously, we know these characters in, in this episode do know why they're there. But at the end, they find out that we find out that they're actually just toys that are in a bin, which is just great. But it, it, it the ending of the kind of twist in this felt very similar. And just that, like, they're, they're, they're basically just figures for these aliens to kind of uh, play with, which is why I kind of go back to the idea that, like, is this supposed to be just like commentary on what our existence is as a whole and that we this is maybe like the ending and then they decide that like, okay, humans can persevere, that humans can kind of reach that next level um, or is this specifically relegated to these five individuals that happen to also be astronauts? I, I don't know. I think, I think the, the, the sort of question in that respect kind of actually dampens the episode for me because mm-hmm. I don't really understand what they're actually trying to say with the, the sort of like where, you know, who these aliens are supposed to represent and what this is actually supposed to represent as a whole. Because if you look at it from a wider perspective and say, okay, this is all of the human race. And that's actually been now relegated to these five people because the actual earth is destroyed. And you're taking out this one person who's, been like, oh yeah, this is all of a simulation. Is he saying that their entire life, that our entire human life is a simulation that he's learning that? Or is it specific to just this one mission that they've been put on? I, I just think that in that respect, it, it seems a little cluttered for me. I think he's wrestling with it himself because he's trying to figure out at which point things were real. Like he looks at the pen floating and then he looks at being told that everyone he's ever loved is dead. I think he's sitting there going, why is this happening? When did it start? I just know that it's happening. Yeah. And I guess my my biggest thing is like, I think I would have liked it more if it was like a government agency or something like that doing it over, which obviously would be a callback to the first episode, where is everybody? But I just don't really understand how aliens fit into this. Because if this is supposed to be some sort of test of sorts, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I guess I'm just confused on what the parameters of this, which is why usually I don't harp in so much on the fundamentals and in, in, in the mechanics of the zone. But in this one, I really do because I'm trying to, I think it's really in, intrinsically tied to the lesson of this episode. Because like, what am I supposed to glean from this if we look at it? Like if we look at it from a wider point of view, sure, maybe something like that. But I, I, I just don't really understand where these characters who they are actually supposed to be at that point. We're talking about such big issues. You know, who is out there? Are we alone? It's tough to put parameters on something like that. 
is this an alien life form that's far more intelligent, far more advanced than us, right? Well, think about how we've taken the earth, right? How we've decided certain people deserve to still be here, certain people don't, certain animals, certain life forms, land types. You know, we've basically molded it the way we want to, this little sphere that we control. Well, who's not to say that there is something much more powerful than us out there that's sort of looking at the universe and say, hey, are these are these people, are they a threat to us? Are they going to do the same damn thing they did to their 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 neck of the solar system? Are they going to do that to ours if they ever reach us? But the fact that they did reach us and they get over that hump, right? We've been able to get over that hump, that what they call it, the great filter, right? Mm-hmm. Of being able to do something great, right, and reach someone else far out there without destroying ourselves. Clearly, these people have some merit. They have some value that they were able to. They must be some sort of worthwhile entity of perhaps keeping around. So maybe actually, I mean, we are. We are like the inferior civilization. We are the inferior species that someone is saying, okay, well, you know, whether you want to call them our gods, whether you want to call them just someone else out there. um, I I mean, I don't know. One of the big questions this arose for me was this great filter theory was, is this really why maybe we haven't met and run into other life forms? I love I love those lectures where they talk about here's people say, well, this is why we're actually alone, mm-hmm. or people say this is why it's almost mathematically certain that there's others out there. Yeah, I, mean, I think they're just great topics. But the question also they don't always get into is who is the other, and depending on what type uh, what type of person or how would they treat us if they found us? Maybe it tells us a lot about the fact that they haven't found us. Maybe it tells us a lot that we haven't found them. Or been able to. So no, that's that's these a are good huge point. questions. I, I but th- the thing is, I, I I think I like this episode more if you look at it from that wider perspective. I guess I'm just getting lost in the specifics of here because if you take it as face value, is that you know that he managed to to game the system and he he figured out that he got out, and you're looking at specifically solely as this sort of mission. I'm finding faults in this in this episode by actually challenging the mechanics of this zone. I don't think the mechanics yeah. of the zone is actually as sound as, as this it episode might not think be. The it way is. I saw it was, like Kurt Vonnegut used to say, after everything we've done, after we trash this planet, it's trying to shrug us off like parasites. It manages to get rid of us or we get rid of ourselves. And now we're into someone else's domain. We're going towards someone else's home where maybe you know we're not rolling anymore yeah. and they make the calls. Again, there's no answers to There this. is no answers. Just, I just, I guess, I, I, just, you're I just guess like That's I don't really I know it. how to glean a lesson from it because I just don't really understand oh. wh- who are these people supposed to represent, you know? If you look at it from a simulation theory perspective, there are three options for what happens to us. One is that we keep evolving or that there is some more intelligent being out there controlling us. And another possibility is that we kill ourselves, that we wipe out our civilization. And then another possibility is that we develop that intelligence and that technology to be able to create simulations, but then we choose not to because that's a weird thing to do. One, I think there's no way that the other beings are afraid of us because <laughs> I think they're definitely not just so much more powerful than we are um, intelligence-wise. And two, I think that the great filter is just us not killing ourselves. We just managed to not kill ourselves, which is the other possibility in, in simulation theory. And where I agree with Eleanor is that's kind of how I read the episode, too, because they're saying they're worthy of salvation. I mean, clearly, the fact that they could set up a simulation and we could not know, 
and you know, not know the parameters and everything. These people are more powerful than us. You know, does your does your dog look at you like you're a god? You know what I mean? Because yeah. this is a more evolved, you know, species or life form. Are they like sort of like god stuff? Yeah. Or I mean, it's kind of like the might makes right, or the you know, are they more? They could also not just be more advanced and stronger. They might be more ethical. They might be the type of society that would never do what we just did to ours. You know, so again, there's something more powerful out there that we're encountering now, and whether we like it or not, you know, they're going to have to say of whether or not uh, we end up like the rest of our planet. So let's just say that they picked up five randos. All right, they might not even be astronauts. What, I mean, for, for all we know, Jerry could possibly be, you know, a math teacher or whatever, and maybe they reprogrammed to think Possibly they're astronauts, too. and then they get in this situation, and whoever solves it resolves it. And they could go, okay, well, we've abducted these five people. We're not going to blow up. We're not going to ruin the world. Here we go. In that respect, and then based on those themes, sure, uh, I'll go with that. I'm really drilling it literally and getting way too technical with this, so I apologize. But in that respect, do we think that this is a science fiction chapter or a fantastical chapter? It's science fiction creating a fantasy about science fiction. (laughs) <laughs> I like that. I can dig like that. that. <laughs> yeah. The lines get a little blurred here. Yeah. Well, let me let me look up something real quick. Okay, so I'm typing in Matrix, Wikipedia. I think it's always a gray area, but yeah, it's definitely sci-fi. I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. No? No. But it's definitely it definitely qualifies as sci-fi. Because, it's sci-fi. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is <laughs> this is science fiction at its peak, you know. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. space travel, we've got aliens we have simulations we have possibly implanted memories Mm -hmm. and we have solar flares we've got nukes like everything here is a recipe for a science fiction story they are mutually exclusive are they sci-fi i would classify like sci-fi horror for alien i wouldn't put fantasy in there at all but like star wars i would consider that sci-fi fantasy it is yeah the difference is alien is more grounded and has more of a technical aspect to it it feels Mm -hmm. believable like maybe we could be there one day yeah i always star wars does not feel that way i always (laughs) classify fantasy as like you're going to another world what would we do with uh joe dante's gremlins Ooh, that's a good question. I worked it in. It's my fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) It is truly my fantasy. Also, it's going to be streaming on Netflix this month, and I am so stoked. All your fantasies are coming Mm -hmm. true. (laughs) Uh, Well, speaking of fantasies, uh, what about our nightmares? What made us sweat? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure we all probably feel this way. The scene where Jerry is freaking out and telling them like that Mm -hmm. they're in a simulation. I was like on the edge of my seat. I I felt anxious because I believed him, but I also just wanted him to go help them because what if he was wrong? And I couldn't imagine being in that situation of like, please, please just come sit down and calm down. It's that it's scared of what another person could do, you know, and that they're because they're so in their beliefs and so sure of their belief that they're willing to affect you in a negative way, regardless of your beliefs. It's like someone who's really religious and they're like, it's OK if we die. We're just going to heaven. But you're an atheist. And it's like, <laughs> but wait, I don't feel that way. You know, so I got super anxious during that part of the episode. And I'm sure I mean, that was really the point. Um, but that was definitely the one part of the episode where I was like, Okay, I, I need you to make a decision here, please. Like, either sit down or, or someone believe him. I, I wasn't anxious at all uh, in the beginning, which is so f- interesting because I, I was. I'm, I'm with you, saying I, I was so anxious during that scene. I was just like, just sit in the fucking chair, asshole. 
But the scene where we're literally finding out about Earth being blown up, not anxious at all. I was like, give yeah. me, me on that spaceship. I, I want to go up in there. That's, that's what I was anxious about. Yeah. As much as we're dealing with aliens here and all these questions we've been asking, I was actually more terrified and sweating out what human beings are capable of. And, I mean, remember, I mean, the Cold War is supposedly over, right? But... I mean, remember, this is, what, less than two years ago, we had a president like taunting someone who did have nuclear capabilities. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, God, for people were actually kind of getting nervous about the Nukes. prospect of nuclear war for the first time. It was fun nostalgia, though, man. Another nice throwback to the 80s, you know, Fraggle yeah. Rock. Uh, nuclear arms. Nuclear arms, yep, yeah. They all they go hand in hand. But no, that, that the beginning part, I mean, I was more... And that idea when remember when they asked, you know, can we open up our radiation shield and take a look back? And nope. you know, it's it's very much like the uh it's very much like the biblical thing, like looking back and yeah. you know, the pillar of salt, that idea, you know. But it's such a human thing to do to look back at you know, even if it's just left into rubble. So I mean the idea of looking back, I mean the destruction and what human beings can do, so much more scarier to me than um anything from another world in this. What about you, Eleanor? What made you sweat? I don't know that I was sweating much in this episode. Really? I mean, there was the steamy sex scene. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I was sweating then. <laughs> I don't sweat. I glisten. Um, <laughs> I glow. Go ahead, Eleanor. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I was annoyed by some of my own instincts. Like with, with the sex scene, one of my instincts was, oh, yeah, they do need to procreate. And then they point out that that's stupid. And I'm like, oh yeah, I I hate myself for having that instinct, but it's so biologically ingrained in my brain. So my disappointment in myself is what made me sweat. <laughs> I mean, your your instinct was better than mine. My instinct was to replay it about five or six times, <laughs> but I'm just I'm just a lonely person, so. <laughs> you know, your instincts are healthier than mine. You know, you know what actually did make me sweat a little bit is when they were singing California Dreaming and that because I I just that is something that so would affect me. I'm the type of person that like literally I don't have fun in the moment. But then when I think about it afterwards, I'm always like, oh, God, like that really was fun there. I, I missed that. I, you know, 24 hours later, I always think about, oh, that was a week ago. That was that or that was two days ago. That was, you know, I was doing this and. I'm always the type of person that's going to look behind and walk the person, watch the person walk away and think about, oh, God, I can't believe that moment's over. And so in that scene it made me realize how much I would be losing my mind thinking about all the stuff that's been lost and about how the, the, all those, those are the last times I'll ever see it. Mm -hmm. And I wondered how fast someone had to have to like put me in a room because I'd just be sitting there being like, Oh my God, that's like the last time I'll see this or, or the last time I'll see that. Or, Oh my God, we don't have Spotify because Spotify doesn't exist anymore because I, I'm not gonna be able to hear, hear the replacements anymore. Cause I didn't bring yeah. any of my vinyls with me. Like, I think that at that moment, like the, the loss of pop culture and knowing that it's just all in our memory banks would just terrify me to no end. Well, and like I said earlier, when Alexa's having that flashback, she sees like a girl and the wind is blowing through her hair. Yeah. And it made me immediately think like, oh, my gosh, imagine not being able to feel wind again. Imagine not being able to smell the ocean um, or have your feet on sand. You know, it's just... There are certain things that you don't think about as the last time until it's the last time. Yeah. Um, and that in itself is a very frightening thought. Oh, it totally is. There's, I mean, there's the idea of things you'll never experience again. There's the cabin fever issue. Um, there's the issue of the isolation of space. I mean, space to me 
is terrifying. Yeah. The idea of just drifting off into it. Isn't that what uh, Langford says at one point? You know, don't, don't, you know, glorify um, Jerry Pearson at all. Jerry's the loneliest man out there. He's just mm-hmm. drifting off, you know, for eternity. I mean, and we're getting to the point where very soon we're going to be able to take commercial rides. Can't wait. That take us to space. That's my question. I don't, not Would very you, soon. It's not going to be very soon. It's going to get to a point where maybe in our lifetime you're able to take a commercial ride and go into space. Would you guys go? I'd go in a heartbeat. I, mean, I would go to the point where it became simple as taking, like, it was like taking the equivalent of taking the bus down the street. Matt, but if I'd somebody opened up that, that door right now and said, we're leaving tomorrow, we got two days, you got one-way ticket to, to Mars, are you going? I'm absolutely going. There's no fucking way I'm going to make it. No, the, the, the space is just too important. It's, it's I'm like, slamming the damn door on them. <laughs> but, but, I think, but I think, again, you ask, who are these five people? And I think these are probably, and again, I know why yeah. you were asking that question, but these are extraordinary people. These are people with the right stuff, so to speak. I think for them to do what they're able to accomplish in here shows you, you know, they're, they're a cut above too. I'm not that cut. You know, I oh, was, you're a cut though. I'll stay back here and, uh, I'll stay back here and like duck and cover under my school desk like they used to as the nukes fall. You know, I'm not going to make it out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eleanor, are you going to space if you get a chance? I uh, absolutely. But I think these people know when they head out on this kind of mission, this could be the last time I blah. This could be the last time I blah. Yeah. And then, uh, they are, Allowed personal effects, so you can totally take your record player, Mike. Yeah, yeah. That was strange or, when they said you're not allowed music. Why were they not allowed music? Maybe the, the aliens didn't subscribe to Spotify for their. That's uh, definitely what it was. You know, mm-hmm. and like maybe they like couldn't get Apple Music either. I'm and sorry, like, I asked. You know, they couldn't they couldn't wire <laughs> it into the simulation. Am sorry I asked. Yeah, but well, if you ever, Eleanor's exactly right. Whenever you see footage of people in space, you know they take things. They take you know things that they understand. We have to keep you occupied. You're bringing one object. What are you? What are you taking, Matt? One object to space. Oh. want to think about it. Yeah, come back to me. Okay, what come about back you? to me later. I'm bringing my Kindle uh, <laughs> because I could just download a bunch of books on it, and mm-hmm. I would have all my favorites, so I could reread that them. That's a really smart one. Yeah. So mm. I think I'm I'm bringing the Kindle. I feel like if anyone's making a spaceship, and I'm looking at you, NASA, you got to just create like the giant Kindle software thing to have every fucking book ever made on it so that anyone could like you just basically have like a hard drive server with everything on there with like terabyte after terabyte and people can just walk around with kindles on the spaceship and just sort through every book ever created by man Mm. you know or woman (laughs) very very ray bradbury yeah i agree i think the idea was that they had done that but it was all involved with tina so once tina was out of the mix you don't get to listen to music anymore. So I think it was just a short-sighted look. That sucks. Uh, yeah. Tina failed. Yeah, you got to have contingencies. You know, Tina's the name of a ship that's in Jaws 2. Uh, <laughs> Tina's Joy. And it's uh, a joke because the shark is ripping apart the boat and you just see the little name of the ship and it's just says Tina's Joy and it's just being ravaged. Not so joyful. Not so joyful at all. But if I take one thing, don't I, don't I take the... I take the magic lamp, right, with the genie. Oh, where okay. then when you're smart, I get to wish for is it a hundred wishes or a hundred things to take? I forget how this works. Mm. Well, you got to think I that. Think, you I got think plenty I'm, of time to think about it. I think it. I'm complaining a few different things here. But. <laughs> Are you bringing the genie from the Twilight Zone? Uh, is there a genie in the Twilight Zone? There is Zone? a genie in the Twilight Zone. Yes, I think br- you know what? No, I've just figured it out. I'm bringing Barbara Eden, circa like 1970s. For okay. my dream of genie. Oh wow! I like <laughs> her that. and I, we would do okay in space for a couple of years. Are you hmm. going to be disappointed that she doesn't actually have powers? <laughs> <laughs> she can't just like nod and make dinner. I mean, she's probably a great person. 
but um, but yeah, I don't think she has powers. And there's always a catch. Like if you get to take a hundred items, you're then overloaded with a hundred items, and you have to figure out what to do next because something else is going to malfunction because it's the fucking Twilight Zone. I admit I haven't given this a lot of thought. There's things I got to think about. Well, here's one more last question in this: uh, What 70s icon, <laughs> TV icon, would you bring this space with you? Share. Jesus. Share. No, I didn't. You're, think you're dropping the genie. Oh, um, 70s icon. Mm-hmm. Uh, come back to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, no, I'll overthink it. Don't Eleanor, what about you? I'm Who are you taking share. from the 70s to space? Oh, maybe um, Kermit the Frog. Oh, oh, that's better than mine. Uh, well, I'm just stealing that from the Orville. I just didn't realize it. But, you know, he's he's an inspiration to us all. He's entertaining and he's a great leader. So, hmm, I like it. I'm, I'm going to bring Richie Cunningham with me and then I'm going to be like, your name is Ron. And then he's going to make all his movies for me in space. <laughs> that's <laughs> so. how he likes it. Including Willow. I don't think I could think of one 70s TV icon. Well, right you're now. good, Arthur Fonzarelli, do, do, so do that you can I, hang out with my. Do what I do, Sammy. Richie. Just glance around the room and say, oh, I think I'd take Buffalo Springfield. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got a Buffalo Springfield poster. Oh, my God. How about that? Uh, I think along the way, we've learned a lesson. The tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices to be found only in the minds of men. For the record, prejudices can kill and suspicion can destroy. I think there's a lesson that I learned. And that was that at the end when they were talking about why humans are worthy of salvation, they mentioned that their relationships remain strong, but they remained curious. And that's impressive. So I think the relationship part is really important. The humanity element ultimately Love lets you win in the Twilight Zone. Love lets you win. Hmm. I like that. Uh, Matt, what, what, Matt, what are your thoughts there? I liked earlier when Eleanor said uh, there's something special about us. And how many times do you, you know, let's face it, uh, you turn on the news, you don't think there's anything special about humanity, except at the end when you see the one story out of 30 where someone rescued a puppy or, you know, a puppy rescued a kitten. But that's not even humanity. That's a puppy and a kitten. So sometimes you don't <laughs> even get the humanity story, you know, at the end of the news. But no, I mean, it's it's nice to get something uplifting. And I thought, you know what, as terrible as the episode started in the sense of humanity destroying each other, um, you did kind of see what's best of us. You see, you see the bravery, you see the audacity to try something, like Eleanor said, to be curious and to care about each other and to um, stick together when everything could have just fell apart. Mm -hmm. These people somehow stuck together, even, you know, when one of them lost it. So it does say something, you know, I think that speaks to what are our better angels, like we keep saying these days, or, you know, the best of us. Yeah. And I like that. I mean, it's an upbeat thought to think, oh, my God, we're kind of remarkable creatures when we <laughs> don't do everything else we're busy doing. Although they did kind of cut Jerry loose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a thing. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, well, what were you going to do, though? <laughs> I guess, I mean, I, I guess we talked about it. Try to sedate him, strap him down. She did close that. She did close that hatch. <laughs> Just said she bye, did. Jerry. She was like, see you later. <laughs> I guess my lesson kind of gleans from uh, Jerry because I think that what at least what I took away from it is that sometimes the crazy guy is right. Sometimes he's to be trusted. It's kind of like the old horror movie trope of the guy at the gas station that gives you the warning to mm -hmm. like, yeah. don't don't go into the woods like or don't go there. It's not it's not great. 
Um, and I think this was an example of that kind of loose cannon character being right and no one trusting him or believing in him. Well, you mentioned Randy Quaid earlier from Independence Day. Uh, I think he was right in that movie. The aliens were coming. But exactly. The wild card always ends up being right. And sometimes society has taught us not to trust that person. And rightfully so. I mean, I'm not, it's not always right. But I think in this particular episode and, and other pieces of pop culture that we've seen, sometimes the lunatic is, you know, the one off their rocker is the one telling the truth. I like that. Is that typically the case in real life or is that only in pop culture? Well, I'm crazy. So I'd like to say that's true. I'll give you that. Yeah. I, my, for me, I thought this was a bunch of different lessons. I, I thought that the whole perception is reality kind of message that you get from this is that, um, you know, you never really know what reality is for the most part. And I think that doesn't just apply on a literal level here, but I think on a metaphorical level, um, I think that you can kind of apply that sort of logic to even just the way that we look at the online universe, you know, like what, when we get, when we're off of it, is that reality really our reality anymore? Um, it's something that I've just been questioning for a, you know for the last ten years. Um, I, you know, I, I work for a website that exists solely online. I've I work with people that are solely online. Um, you know, obviously there's a reality to that, but when you actually unplug and you look back and and you kind of are situated in the actual tangible reality around you. And these people that you work with are hundreds and thousands of miles away. There is this sort of disassociation that comes with that. And that's something that I got from this episode. And you got to clean your toilets because you'll find some really interesting things or not. (laughs) Or not interesting things. Exactly. I guess the last question in this area is uh, who won? Does Jerry win? Jerry wins. Jerry wins? I think we can all attest to that. I mean, if they... The human race, I guess, wins too, but because Jerry wins, you know, or because mm-hmm. they complete their mission. So I I guess you could say that the aliens definitely take home a trophy here, but all in all, I think we owe us surviving to good old Jerry. Eleanor, do you concur? I do, and I think that one of the ways you can tell that Jerry wins is that he kind of smiles at the end when he sees that they've made it and... I think that's the most fulfilling thing for him. And he's like, ha ha, I was right. (laughs) I mean, I guess I have to say humanity wins, or part of humanity anyway. Mm -hmm. So it reminded me almost of like the Ark, right? Yeah. I mean, great for Noah and his family, but uh, everyone left behind is is treading water. You, all of us, we didn't make it, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so I guess humanity ultimately will go on without us, which it was going to do anyway, even if nothing happened to us. So um, I guess humanity wins. We will live another day um, on another planet. Matt, can you pass me that coin right there? I think that's a penny. Ah, good. (laughs) Can I get a penny for your thoughts? It doesn't matter, Mr. Poole. A man with your ability. Hearing people's thoughts, strange delusion. But with proper medical care, it will go away. Miss Turner, it is not a delusion. There, you see, I can read your thoughts. Is it a penny or is it a nickel? It's a penny. And uh, in this section, we're going to ask ourselves, what would we do in this episode. Okay, so this is a little different, I guess, uh, question for you guys, because uh, while Michael and I were watching the episode, we had not an argument, but a dispute as to what would you 
rather have happen to you? Would you rather be on Earth when it was decimated and you wouldn't even have to worry about it and be an instant death? Or would you rather be one of the astronauts going up into space and having to deal with being the last survivors on, you know, or like of the human race? Um, he and I are very different. Mm-hmm. I, I want free ride space. Are you kidding me? Boom. No, I don't want to deal with like all of the, the the human nature. I'd rather just be done. Boom, I'm done. I don't have to worry about it. It's over in a blink of an eye. No desire to live another day. No desire None to live another day. that instinct that because that's can, one of the amazing things about human beings. Even I mean, even people that are committing suicide, it's usually two like if they fling themselves off a bridge, right? It's usually two seconds after they go off, they say, "Oh my!" That's what they always say. The ones who survive, I want to live, right? I mean, that instinct to survive kicks in. So no desire to. I don't so I think it's I guess like you Matt I'm scared of space and who's to say that what happens yeah. to them up there couldn't be worse than what's going to happen on earth does yeah. not mean I want to be nuked it's true have I don't ever, know have you ever seen World War II pictures of people who survived the nuclear you know I'm hoping yeah, I'm we're one not going to survive I don't, I don't I don't think I'd like to hope that nobody survived what happens in this well the near destruction of the planet so something yeah. or someone survived yeah, but I think they were talking about the stuff that happened before the nukes. <sighs> the stuff that happened before the nukes. That we were um, running out of resources. and. Yeah, well, that's another thing, That's too. true. We weren't, we weren't long for the planet anyway. Mm-hmm. That's, that might be why we had the, the issues with nuclear war. Maybe it was a lack of resources that brought that to a, you know, to a final... Um... I've just seen one too many Space Gone Wrong movies. I think, like, like Mike had mentioned earlier, I just watched Event Horizon uh, for my first time the other night, and... I would rather be nuked than have a Hellraiser in space scenario. Hon, you need to watch some atomic bomb movies. I guess <laughs> I so. You, you I guess watch too to many space movies. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that that answers my question. I'm, you know, that's the how do you get someone to, you know, like, uh, you know, someone's like, I'm not running, and then someone's chasing them. Okay, yeah. I'm going to run. Right. That's how you get the fat get to run or something. <laughs> that's how you finally get Matt Mellis into space. You say the nuke is going to hit in nine minutes. It's coming. So this is okay. the only situation that's going to get you into space. It's it's going to be something like this. Interesting. I liked that this episode, um, like, it asked a new question. So in old episodes, like One More Pallbearer in Season 3, Episode 17, and uh, The Shelter, Season 3, Episode 3, we find out what people do on Earth when they realize that there's a nuclear bomb coming. And the questions that they start asking or that the episodes ask are things like what matters does survival matter or do you, does being with your loved ones matter and is your own survival enough or do you need to ensure that others survive and and what's left after you've survived and this one asked a whole new set of questions mainly do you function as a representative of the human species or as an individual so i think most of the people on the crew had decided to function as a representative of of our species and then you just had tanaka who wanted to go back and wanted to be with at least the familiar planet and if she couldn't be with her family but i do think that personally if you have the option you have a responsibility to explore the other option of survival because it's not like they could save anyone else no one else was getting on that spacecraft but they did have a responsibility to complete the mission and to see what else could happen with that option and i would also fuck the pain away (laughs) (laughs) i mean what i do get what sammy's saying a little bit is though whenever they talk about people coming back from like near life experiences a lot of people say it's the same and a lot of people kind of describe it as you're just floating you're weightless all the cares in the world gone and they say that is so peaceful, like, 
I'm not scared of dying anymore because, yeah. you know, that'll be a really, if that's what it's like, that'll be a really peaceful way to go. So, I mean, I could see, I could see that, you know, I could, especially if you're, if you're having a rough go of it on Thank this planet. Thank you. Thanks for. I could see just like, you know, but, uh, uh, I'd blast off. <laughs> Again, that nuke's coming fast. I guess the, with uh, with Slim Pickens riding it with his cowboy hat, and I'm just I'm going to space regardless. So, so that's <laughs> that, that's my thing. You were on you were on uh, two flights earlier. Yeah, <laughs> and, and if I'm Jerry, I'm I'm just gonna sit him down and say, "Look, dude, we'll sort this out. Just just sit down and make sure the solar flare doesn't you know kill us." <laughs> this leads us to our final section, in which we give our overall thoughts. Now we have done all we could do. If we've been successful, well and good, there are no problems. But if, on the other hand, this final treatment has not achieved the desired result, please remember, Miss Tyler, that you can still live a long and fruitful life among people of your own kind. Here comes the last of it. I wish you every good luck. Who wants to shoot off the first bottle rocket? Wow, I liked that. <laughs> yeah, you like that? Okay. Cool. Um, I'm giving it four out of five doors. It was my favorite episode since the first two that we've seen. And um, that's different because I love the Wonderkin last week. So I definitely feel like this one took its place as my next favorite after those first two premiere uh. episodes. I thought it was beautifully directed. I believed every character interaction. They felt real to me. Nothing felt forced. I loved just listening to their little conversations that they had at her birthday party, like before things went bad, like they just, it felt so genuine and human. Um, and it was the first episode that made me care about the characters, mm -hmm. which uh, some of the last episodes I've just kind of been like, whatever, I don't really care to see these people again. But I, I felt like I could almost have seen it as a series. Like I would have liked to have seen these characters go on. I think I would have probably given it a five, but I didn't really love the twist, like the alien matrix twist. Or I almost wish it, I agree with you. I wish it was like, a government thing. Um, I didn't really need the aliens to be introduced. So that's what's keeping me from that fifth door. But overall, I, I really enjoyed this episode. And I hope that we keep going with this in further episodes because we don't have many left. And I just I want them to stay good like this. Yeah. I love a space thing. <laughs> so I'm also giving it four out of five airlock hatches. Oh, <laughs> clever. But, I mean, I feel like there's still more to be had. I am naturally curious what happened next to them. But I'm also really glad that they didn't tell us <laughs> that they left it open-ended. For me, it was um, very, very much all about the journey, what they had to endure to get there, um, personally, what they had to go through as a group. And obviously, not everyone quite made it. That's just a testament to what... Uh, undertaking this was so when they get to mars i'm happy with that ending actually i don't necessarily need there to be a twist and aliens to be involved although i will say when i look back then i really appreciate you know from the very get-go that jerry's understands something's you know wrong i mean it's really well structured to end the way it does too i could have gone either way but for me it's one of those things that the journey is more important than the destination and i thought it was sort of a really beautiful commentary on what human beings can accomplish when we don't let the other things you know get in the way or even the things that make us human beings in some ways you know because there were some legit things that these folks had to contend with when they're up there in this very very difficult situation i also want to say this is just I think it's it's such a beautiful series, whether you've liked some of the stories or not. I mean, 
one of the great, I mean, space, it's just such a majestic thing. And I, I love the opening shots of their spaceship Yeah, um, with the lighting and it's at night and it's blasting off and the steam's coming off. One of the most beautiful things I've seen filmed in a long time. And I think, um, you know, this whole series has been beautifully shot, even when I didn't always agree with the story. So I love the fact that they went to space. Love the fact that there were big questions, thought it was really well done. And um, I could have taken this ending or a different ending, and I think it still could have worked. Uh, I'll give it uh, uh, four four black holes. Is that something? You could four do? black holes. We're <laughs> throwing black holes in there now. Yeah, I we'll like go, that. Okay, we'll go, we'll go through them over the event horizon. Right. Yeah. Here. yeah. You see the whole. If it didn't happen instantly, you would see everything and the history of the universe like flash before your eyes. I think's the idea, right? Mm-hmm. So we're gonna do four of those. All right. Uh, that's that's a hell of a way to go out. That is a hell of a way to go out, and I would do it. Uh, <laughs> without I, being asked, without being, I'll be without asked. being shoved, Go for without it. a nuke chasing you. <laughs> my, my whole thing is, I, my whole life, I've just been so perplexed and absolutely enamored by the concepts of space. It doesn't scare me in the slightest. It actually really eases me. The only thing that really scares me nat- naturally in any setting is the ocean. I'm I'm just terrified of the ocean. But but space is calming to me, and I and I think it's just riveting in so many ways. And for me, this episode. It captures a lot of that majesty with even though it's it is a, s- a simulation and that's one of the hardest parts to do for a sci-fi uh story especially one set in space uh, so i thought that there was major kudos in that respect i thought that the attention to to detail when it came to uh space exploration and also um the the life of the astronauts and um the dialogue that's being spoken i thought was very uh, there's a lot of attention to detail there um like you matt i agree that i thought that the the journey was the best part i thought the punch at the, the punchline at the end the twist so to speak was the weakest part in fact i i knew that there had to be a twist and i knew that it needed to be something to kind of give some sort of credence to, to Jerry and everything they were kind of putting there. But I just wanted a little bit more and I really didn't want it to be aliens. Um, I thought that, that it just felt like too much of a cop out for me. And for me, it's just the, that, that sort of punchline just kind of detracts this episode a little bit for me, because I think that that's one of the biggest parts of the twilight zone. It's something that, that this, this show really needs to nail. And I think that's why last week's episode really did well for me is that I thought it nailed the punchline more so than I think any of the other episodes did. So it would be fair for me to give this four doors. So I'm going to go for 3.5 or mm-hmm. three point. Yeah. 3.5 because 3.14 would be too low. And I wanted to make a pie joke, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> so yeah, three and a half, three, three doors and one ajar as uh, you were saying before. So, um, or maybe one of those little escape hatches uh, that's only halfway up. Like a little doggy door. Yeah. A little doggy door. So did this become anyone's favorite episode? Anyone? Not me. Yeah. It's not my favorite episode. I no. still stand by Nightmare at 30,000 feet as my favorite. That's episode. still my favorite, followed yeah. by this. Yes. I was I was relieved with this episode because I, <laughs> I really didn't like last week. I know. And it's been about three weeks where I was really worried about this series. And see, that's my favorite. So, Wonderkin, I loved it. I think I still liked The Comedian most. That's right there for me, too. Yeah. yeah I think mm-hmm. this one's really close. And I, I think they both exist in the same sphere. So... They complement each other beautifully. Well, we've all shared our favorite episodes. We hope this is your favorite podcast. And if it is, please rate and review us on uh, Apple Podcasts. You can give us reviews on Facebook. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram. Just search for The Fifth Dimension. You get some uh, some of those cool memes, all black and white, because Sammy right here I have is... have an aesthetic going. You got okay. an aesthetic going. All right. And maybe this wasn't your favorite episode. And maybe, uh, maybe, maybe it was. But next week, we got another one. Until then, keep your eyes on the stars and your feet on the ground, and we'll be waiting here 
in the fifth dimension. Consequence Podcast Network.